Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.38 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It's the 17th of June, 2020. This is episode... 253 of Bitcoin, and I have not had anywhere close to enough coffee. I've had one measly cup. Uh, so this is going to be, this is going to be rough, guys. Hang with me. Hang with me. First thing up is Fast Bitcoins. Uh, fastbitcoins.com. That's F-A-S-T-B-I-T-C-O-I-N-S dot com. Uh, I reported on this one. It was a, um, couple of was it, I think it was a couple of weeks ago and I got an update <clears throat> no they are not a sponsor so stop you know don't get your panties in a, in an uproar man I just when I find what I think may be a big a good bitcoin only company I try to let you know about it if any company turns out to suck that's not my fault <laughs> I I look at companies that are I mean shit at least you're trying you know they're not dealing in shit coins or altcoins or anything like that. It's it's a Bitcoin only company, and it's kind of reminds me of um, in a way. Okay, don't take any offense over there at Fast Bitcoins guys, but in a way, it reminds me of Beautyon's setup where you can do vouchers and buy Bitcoin and get a sheet, a little piece of paper that has you can redeem the sheet of paper uh, for Bitcoin directly into your wallet. This is sort of it. There's more to this than just that, but still, it's a way to buy Bitcoin. Um, you probably are going to be KYC or some type of AML at, at one point or another. But I mean, you know, again, it's one of those things where we're all in this together. We need as many Bitcoin only and good, solid Bitcoin only companies as we can get. So that's why I'm making you aware. So I, I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, um, but. I figure I'll go ahead and and give an update because the one thing that I had a problem with the last time the the first time that I reported on this <clears throat> was their map of locations. Okay, so basically essentially they give like a, you know, they go out to places like gold and silver exchanges. Uh there are a few of them on their list as as vendors who have a little, you know, a little device that uh connect or that is from fast bitcoins that will allow you to buy bitcoin or sell bitcoin at that particular location sell bitcoin at your own risk please well actually i guess buy bitcoin screw it this is not this is not any kind of advice on anything so no sue me okay but last time their map they have a live map uh, or find it's basically one of those find a location maps and the last time that I was here, uh, my browser was not allowing the actual map portion 
to display graphics. It was just a blank field with like, there's a whole bunch of like, when I'm like it on their uh, fastbitcoins.com forward slash locations, uh, it comes up with a map. And on the left-hand side of the map is a list of vendors that they are working with like Gold Star Jewelers and uh, TJ Convenience Store. Almost all of these are about 1500 miles away from me. So I can't directly partake into this uh, thing. But the last time, whenever I went to like, let's say Gold Star Jewelers and clicked on it, it would put a pin in the map, but the map was just blank. That has been either it has been fixed or it was never a problem on their side. It was only a problem on my side. So they asked me if I would look at it again. I have looked at it again. The map is up and looks just like any normal find a location map. Uh, if I go over and click on Joy Convenience Store, which is 1300 miles away in Alberta, Calgary, uh, it takes it zooms out and pans up and to the left and then zooms back in. And then I've got a little pin drop right on a map that I would be able to locate. It gives me the store times. It gives me some public notes. It gives me like, a, let's see, the maximum voucher that I can buy is a thousand uh, in Canadian dollars. Um, so, you know, I... I'm I'm really happy with the way that this is is looking now. So either it was my fault or my browser's fault that it wasn't bringing it up or something got fixed. I don't know, but it's smooth as silk now. So that's it for a little bit of community news. Let's get into the other news. <clears throat> Excuse me, pardon me. Daily Hodel staff writing this for the Daily Hodel sometime last night. Bitcoin whales move $73 million in Bitcoin as population hits levels not seen since 2017. The elite group of crypto investors known as whales are moving millions of dollars in Bitcoin as the coin's price hovers around $9,500. In the past 24 hours, the crypto address tracker whale alert spotted four large transactions totaling 7,762 BTC worth $73.5 million at time of publishing. One of the transactions sent 1,850 BTC worth 17.5 million to the crypto exchange Binance, where it could potentially be sold on the open market. The other transactions represent uh, crypto moving between exchanges or from crypto trading and custody platforms to wallets of unknown origin. New numbers from the crypto analytics firm Glassnode shows the number of Bitcoin whales in existence has reached levels not seen since late 2017, a few months before the top. Cryptocurrency hit its all-time high of just over $20,000. Quote, despite the volatile market movements of 2020, the number of Bitcoin whales has been growing near consistently since January with a current value of 100 or 1,882 entries holding at least 1,000 BTC. Perhaps more interestingly, the first time we saw this many whales was in March 2016 when Bitcoin was still under 420. Love it, 420. Although the rising number of whales suggests the important investor class is bullish on Bitcoin, overall sentiment on the market is down as BTC struggles to surpass $10,000. Quote, sentiment saw the largest drop of the week, decreasing by 19 points due in large part <clears throat> to Bitcoin's price drop on Thursday. <clears throat> While saving behavior increased by 11 points, investor sentiment took a hit as more BTC dropped out of a state of profit. So there you go. Whales are swimming around. The RB whales here 
uh, <clears throat> watch watch your ships, mateys, because these things can do a lot of damage when they get when they get going. And we're seeing that today. We've got I've, I'm seeing a quite a bit of liquidated longs this morning, and I woke up to a wasn't a hefty price drop, but we'll we'll get into all that with uh, uh, when we do vitals. So, but yeah, be aware, whales are swimming around. U.S. dollar will crash 35%, triggering BTC and crypto bull run, predicts former Morgan Stanley Asia chairman, Daily Hodel staff, writing last night for the Daily Hodel, says Stephen Roach. The former Morgan Stanley Asia chairman says the U.S. dollar is in trouble and is set to plunge, boosting safe haven bets like Bitcoin and gold. Appearing on CNBC's Trading Nation, Roach calls out the rapidly changing world amid the pandemic, along with the United States' effort to push back on globalization, as well as the massive U.S. budget deficit as the big combo that will drag the dollar down. Roach suggests now is the time to warn investors about a potential dollar crash, as the world's reserve currency may may be facing the end of an era. Now? Now is the time? (laughs) No, man, dude, the, the... the first time was the, the day after they opened the Fed in 1913. The second best time to warn is now. Yikes, man. Uh, quote, the U.S. economy has been afflicted with some significant macro imbalances for a long time, namely a very low domestic savings rate and a chronic current account deficit. But these problems are going from bad to worse as we blow out the, finan- the fiscal deficit in the years ahead. The national savings rate adjusted for depreciation is probably going to go deeper into negative territory than it's ever done for the United States or any leading economy in economic history. At the same time, America is walking away from globalization, focused more on decoupling itself from the rest of the world. I think that's a lethal combination. I think the dollar is going to do as a a currency normally does. And that is provide the equilibrium between savings and international imbalances. And I think that the dollar is going to fall very, very sharply, end quote. Roach expects the dollar to nosedive 35% drop against other major currencies over the next year or two as it careens towards an inevitable crash. In a new op-ed published by Bloomberg, Roach says cryptocurrencies and gold should benefit from dollar weakness as investors look to hedge against the collapse. As for investors on Wall Street and consumers on Main Street, he predicts financial assets will tumble as prices rise and people cope with the high cost of imported goods, an economic rebound that would show activity returning to last year's levels, according to Roach, could take years. We don't really know, honestly. I mean, again, take everything that every economist says with a massive grain of salt because... You know, honestly, this should, it should have all been done after 2008, but it wasn't, was it? So who knows? Absolutely. Who knows? And I keep going back to the whole Bretton Woods agreement where every idiot country under the sun believed our bullshit and pegged their currency to the dollar, which was pegged to gold. And then Nixon, without any fanfare whatsoever, pulled the peg of the dollar from gold, thereby decoupling every other currency in the world from gold when he did that. I mean, talk about centralization. Jesus. I mean, how come you guys didn't? Well, we know why they didn't. It was easier to ship the gold over to the United States because Hitler and everybody was running around stealing the gold out of every central bank. 
So they just shipped it all to us. And then when we're sitting on the world's gold supply, we go, hey, 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 man, those dumbasses. Here's what we're going to do. And it was done. So just, you know, again, guys, beware. Uh, be careful out there. Oh, God. Okay. Craig Wright. We're going to do it again. And I know I shouldn't be talking about him, but the entertainment value alone, and God knows we need entertainment in this space. We need humor in this space like a son of a bitch because y'all some salty bastards out there. Coin Telegraphs, Michael Kapelkov is writing this one sometime yesterday. Former Mt. Gox CEO Mark Carpellis, Craig Wright, is either a thief or a fraud. Former Mt. Gox CEO Mark Carpellis insists that the 80,000 Bitcoin that Dr. Wright claims were stolen from the exchange citing expert support. <clears throat> Former Mt. Gox CEO still insists that, yes, Craig Wright lays claim to stolen 80,000 Bitcoin. Uh, Carpell has confirmed to Cointelegraph that the Bitcoin residing at 1FEEX, that's the 1FEEX address that we've been talking about, he's, he has confirmed that it was stolen from Mt. Gox. Quote, I confirm this was confirmed in 2011 and records are also part of our court of court documents available publicly in quote. Also speculating about Wright's motivation in this turn of events in the Tulip Trust saga, Carpellis opined that Enchain's chief scientist is just trying to put forward some evidence of his status. Quote, to be quite honest, I think Wright is just trying to use this address as evidence he is an early Bitcoin user with tons of BTC and finds himself in a difficult situation where he is either a thief if he keeps his claim up or a fraud if he admits being wrong, end quote. Meanwhile, Wright is questioning the validity of evidence that the Bitcoin was ever stolen from Mt. Gox. Quote, the only evidence of the allegation regarding the origin of the one X Bitcoin address of which I am aware is a purported Skype chat between Mark Carpellis and Jeb McCaleb but that document is only a text file rather than a validated Skype log. No other evidence or any other credible evidence, such as internal accounting records from Mt. Gox, has been put forward. End quote. It should be noted that the Skype transcript was accepted by the court and the litigating parties have not questioned its authenticity. Wright claims that he made an arrangement to acquire the Bitcoin in late February 2011, finalizing the transaction on March the 1st of the same year. Quote, I agreed to purchase the Bitcoin in the one fee X address in late February, and it was transferred into that address on the 1st of March that year. The full amount of the Bitcoin, which is now owned by Tulip Trading Limited, remains in that address today. Tulip Trading Limited? I thought this was Tulip Trust. Too many tulips. He did not specify if the transaction happened on Mt. Gox. Kim Nilsson, a cybersecurity expert whose team spent months analyzing a series of hacks that led to the eventual collapse of Mt. Gox, completely refuted Wright's storyline in an email to Cointelegraph, quote, The strongest independent proof I can bring is that the transaction that sent the 80,000 BTC to that address was entirely funded by Mt. Gox addresses and that the Mt. Gox wallet at the time got completely completely emptied by this transaction, which is absolutely not normal behavior and not compatible with Wright's claims of just buying coins from some third party. And who is this third party then? End quote. It should be noted that Mt. Gox's order books were leaked and the leaked documents did not reveal a transaction for this amount. <clears throat> Heading of this paragraph. 
the dumbest thief ever. <laughs> the letter was sent by Wright's lawyers. They they gave a copy of this this famous letter that was sent on June the 12th now, so I'm not going to read it because I already read it for you during uh, the last Friday's uh, Daily Trainwreck. The letter that was sent by Wright's lawyers to Bitcoin core developer Vladimir Vanderlan, who is not funded by Blockstream and Blockstream states that Wright lost access to these Bitcoin addresses as a result of a hack on February the 5th, 2020. Interestingly, the purported thief has not moved any of the stolen Bitcoin. Either we are dealing with the world's dumbest thief or Wright just keeps on webbing his web. Sergio Damien Lerner, a notable Bitcoin researcher, agrees that it makes no sense for a thief not to move the loot. Yes, I agree it makes no sense. However, Nielsen surmised that this is just another case of Wright trying to control the narrative. Quote, far from being some obscure unknown address, plenty of people have known about this address and the theft behind it for years. Wright has presented mere assertions without evidence, yet is acting like the burden of proof is now on everybody else to sufficiently disprove him, setting arbitrary standards for what sort of evidence he will accept. Wright always tries to change the rules rather than concede anything, but no amount of obfuscation or bluster will change the fact, and this is a wildly implausible story. He's pitching with plenty of, of evidence against it and nothing supporting it, end quote. This legal exercise puts an additional nail into the coffin of Craig Wright as Satoshi Nakamoto. It is hard to imagine that Satoshi Nakamoto would even think about using legal means to gain access to some lost or stolen Bitcoin, since the whole ethos of the cypherpunk toward electronic cash was to create such currency that would be independent of established government institutions. Uh, Vladimir Vanderlan told Cointelegraph that he has no intentions of replying to the letter. Quote, I'm not at least. No idea about Blockstream. I have nothing to do with them. End quote. I'm not at least, period. That's weird. Maybe it's just, maybe it's German. I don't know. Cointelegraph reached out to Blockstream for comment, but has not received a response in time for publication. Yes, that's because lizard people apparently can't read English. Because you know they're all lizards over there at Blockstream, right? Daily Huddle staff writing this one for the Daily Huddle. Uh, Bitcoin property sales accelerating with record $1.25 million purchase, says Turkish real estate firm. So, real estate. Well, at least it's on the right blockchain. Turkish real estate company Antalya Homes says that the third Bitcoin halving event that took place on May the 11th is a boom for the country's property industry. In a statement released on Monday, the real estate firm, which supports Bitcoin payments and offers virtual property tours to clients, reveals that the use of cryptocurrencies and property sales has become widespread as people adapt to new normals in the midst of the pandemic. Antalya, I think that's how it's pronounced, Antalya Homes says... The Bitcoin halving also gave the market a healthy boost. As Bitcoin surged to $10,000 a week after the halving, company chairman Byram Trekkie says buyers took the chance to use their BTC to purchase properties. Quote, with the effect of the increase in Bitcoin value after halving, investors made capitalization sales that are reflected as an increase in property sales. End quote. Amid the rising popularity of Bitcoin, Trekkie also reveals that the real estate firm recently brokered a record-breaking sale using BTC as payment when it closed a deal for Antalya Via. Quote, we bought the buyer and the seller, oh, sorry, we brought the buyer and the seller together in an online meeting and finalized the negotiations. Antalya Homes brokered the payments with Bitcoin. This sale 
worth $1.25 million was the highest valued property sale ever made using Bitcoin in Turkey. So there's that. And, you know, think about that, though. You got a company that offers virtual tours. So how to say this? How easy is this? I got a guy from Turkey who wants to buy my house in Colorado. I contact these guys and, okay, well, they got to come out and, and, and take pictures of the house in Colorado. That may be a little, a little funky and, and very expensive, but let's just say that I've, let's say that I've already got a whole bunch of pictures of the house and they have a guy, I, I you know, email them all the, the pics or, you know, they put them on an FTP server and then they go get them and then have some people do some really neat shit with it, which you can do nowadays with 3D tech, you know, 3D modeling and stuff like that. And then uh, construct a virtual tour and then they get me on the horn and then the buyer on the horn. I get to walk through the house in virtual reality with the potential buyer, point out particular situations, walk out the front door, you know, really have a good addressing of the house, right? And, you know, I get to chill out with the potential buyer. And then all of a sudden the brokers say, okay, well, do you want to buy it? And the guy says, yeah, I want to buy it. And right then and there, you know, Bitcoin is sent into my wallet and the only, only real snag here is title. You know, how do you handle title? I don't know. Uh, I'd have to ask these guys, but I mean, think about it. I mean, everything is done in the digital domain, including payment. The only, again, the only thing that's kind of missing here is title claim, but I'm sure that they've got all that shit worked out. Oh God, honored chain leak maker Dow honored as world economic forum tech pioneers. When you get honored by the world economic forum, watch out. Whoever it is that got honored is basically under the thumb of the world economic forum. And God knows we don't trust those sons of bitches. Turner Wright writing for Cointelegraph sometime yesterday says the World Economic Forum has recognized six blockchain firms on its list of 100 early to growth stage companies as technology pioneers for 2020. According to the WEF's website, the blockchain and crypto startups recognized for pioneering new technologies and innovations in 2020 are Lightning Labs. You should have put, you should have led with that, okay? Lightning Labs, Chainlink, MakerDAO, Bitcoin analytics firm Elliptic, Latin based Latin America based cryptocurrency startup Ripio and Viridium Labs. They're among 10, 100 companies from around the world chosen for their contributions to bleeding edge technology, from artificial intelligence to diagnose cancers and quantum computing systems to carbon capture and removal technologies, cell grown meat production, oh God, and use of microbiome to track goods. Oh Lord, have mercy, that's weird. Quote, by joining this community, technology pioneers began, begin a two-year journey where they are part of the World Economic Forum's initiatives, activities, and events, bringing their cutting-edge insight and fresh thinking to critical global decisions, the WEF website said. Chainlink's co-founder, Sergey Nazarov, said the company was thrilled by the honor, quote, using smart contracts on the blockchains to bring enforceable guarantees to contractual obligations has widespread social and economic beliefs. We're proud to play a role in bringing accountability and automation to global and local economies. 
and we look forward to contributing to forum dialogues on this challenge. Man, you better put a tie on that suit speak there, pal. Since 2000, the WEF has selected prominent and upcoming tech companies to be technology pioneers. Traditional companies like Mozilla, Spotify, Twitter, Google have made the list, but recently blockchain firms have started to be recognized more often. In 2015, Ripple was named as WEF Technology Pioneer. The forum also recognized blockchain, the company, in 2016 for its role in empowering millions to authenticate and conduct transactions across the globe. I do not trust the World Economic Forum. I think the World Economic Forum is there to make sure that the elite stay the elite. And I think that this type of thing, this this outreach to quote unquote blockchain companies is the first salvo in trying to get these companies under their control. And of all these companies, I really wish and or I really hope that Lightning Labs sees this for what it is and is is not fooled by quote unquote this honor. Oh, it's such an honor to be basically selected by one of the sleaziest organizations in the world. Okay, one man's mission to deploy solar-powered Bitcoin nodes across Africa. This is a CoinDesk article by Alisa uh, Alisa Hertig. <clears throat> She's writing this one yesterday. This is a, a clearly about Africa, which, ooh, wow, okay. <clears throat> Look below at the map of public nodes on Bitcoin's Lightning Network. Europe and the United States are filled with them. The rest of the world is an ocean of blankness with a few scattered islands. And she gives a picture of the map and... Sure enough, uh, the United States and Europe are basically the most populated uh, uh, places for lightning nodes to be active. There are almost... South America looks like it might be coming in kind of like third, you know, maybe fourth behind Japan. But other than that, man, there's just not a whole lot of shit going on. Africa, Africa appears to have eight nodes total. From this map, entrepreneur and IT guru Shimizu Chuta inferred that he is the only person in Nigeria known to be running a lightning node. Okay, I'm going to stop right there. Mr. Chuta, you need to put your lightning node on tour, tour so it doesn't show up. I know that's like kind of counterintuitive, but if you can see it, other people can see it. And now I know who, what your name is. And that you're the only lightning operator in, uh, uh, God, oh my God, in Nigeria. The OPSEC on this is kind of terrible, but be that as it may, a crucial caveat is that many users might be running nodes without exposing them to the world. Oh, thank God. But all told, lightning activity looks sparse on the planet's second largest and second most populous continent. Chuta wants to change this. Like many Bitcoiners, he believes running a network node is one of the best ways to become a truly financially independent. A lightning node in particular, while experimental and maybe risky to use, allows Africans to earn a little cash by way of fees for relaying money across the network, he said. To that end, Blockspace Technologies Africa Incorporated, Chuta's company, has released a kit for a Bitcoin and lightning node, including all the hardware pieces for assembly called Spacebox, in the hopes of expanding the technology's use across the continent. <clears throat> Spacebox. You guys need to get a hold of Hodelnot, Hodelnot for a uh, 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 for a sponsorship, man. Putting that putting that cat's name on Spacebox may actually go a long way. 
Quote, I think this will help many people living in low-income regions of the world to become part of the Bitcoin ecosystem. Beyond trading and speculation, Africa seems to have zero representation, Jutta said. Many Africans don't have access to financial services like traditional bank accounts. In 2015, the World Bank estimated that 350 million people living in sub-Saharan Africa were, quote, unbanked. In theory, running the pair of nodes could connect Africans to a more modern financial system and do so in a way that gives them greater visibility and control over their funds than relying on third parties. Uh, the space box sells for 210,000 Naira, the Nigerian currency, which is worth roughly 550 or $541. The main component of the kit is a tiny hobbyist computer called the Raspberry Pi running the open source Raspi Blitz software for lightning nodes. It also has a solar panel component since many Africans lack electricity. Quote, our goal is to raise an army of full Bitcoin lightning node operators to dot every nook and cranny of the continent in the next one year, Chuta said. We plan to sell and deploy at least 250 of these nodes in the next six months. So far, over the last month, the company has received seven orders, one from British Columbia, five from Nigeria, and one from Ghana. Some readers may feel deja vu. Half a decade ago, Africa was touted as fertile ground for cryptocurrency adoption. Back then, cheaper remittances were supposedly the killer app. Compliance costs, along with Bitcoin scaling challenges, complicated that narrative. While some people, including in Nigeria, indeed use Bitcoin for remittance today, it's hardly put a dent in Western Union. <clears throat> Chuta's pitch is different. Emphasizing the autonomy that comes with running a full Bitcoin node and the income from a lightning one, it's a way to earn and safeguard money, not just zap it to someone else. Operating a Bitcoin full node basically means running the underlying infrastructure for the world's largest cryptocurrency by market cap, unlike mining, which requires significant investment in specialized chips, electricity, and cooling. Anyone can run a node on a laptop with enough space. At least 10,000 people are running nodes today, a conservative estimate since not all nodes show the world they are running. Yeah, like me, and that's what you should be doing. While there's no direct financial reward for running a Bitcoin node, it has an advantage over both custodial services where a third party holds the private keys and simplified payment verification wallets, which verify only their own transactions. A full node self-validates by retrieving every transaction recorded on the blockchain. With this information and the node rules downloaded, users can verify firsthand that transactions follow the network rules. As the ultimate bullshit detector, it can tell you if you're getting false data. I'm going to read that one again. As the ultimate bullshit detector, it can tell you if you're getting false data. That may be the, the one sentence as to why should I run a node? Because it's the ultimate bullshit detector. Why wouldn't you want to run a node? I run a node. Whatever. Quote, being financially sovereign has become a necessity, and Bitcoin offers the primary tool to attain that, Chuta said. Spacebox Spacebox's Lightning node component is built on top of the Bitcoin node. Lightning attempts to solve one of Bitcoin's biggest problems, increasing scalability so more people can use the network at once. If successful, it might become the main method of making everyday payments in the cryptocurrency and generate revenue for those running a node. <clears throat> Quote, Although operating a Bitcoin, a full Bitcoin Lightning node is more like a hobbyist engagement, some people are already making some money by positioning their nodes as a lightning payment routing channel, Chuta said, there are several options for building lightning nodes, such as Raspi Blitz, or just purchasing them already put together from vendors like MyNode. 
Most node makers assume that users will have a stable electric source to plug into, which isn't a safe assumption in sub-Saharan Africa, where, according to the World Bank, more than one half of the population lacks electricity. Quote, with regards to infrastructure, Nigeria and a number of other African countries have very poor electricity supply, so keeping a full node running is very difficult, Bitcoin Core contributor Tim Akinabo told Coindesk, hence the solar panel that comes with the Spacebox kit. This lack of regular electricity has denied most Bitcoin enthusiasts in the continent the opportunity to participate in the global Bitcoin multi-billion dollar industry as miners or routing node operators, Chuta said. By integrating an affordable solar power kit into Bitcoin node operation, we expect that many more people across the world, especially Africans, can participate. Beyond electricity, Akinbo notes that there are other costs to running a full node. They require a lot of storage space, for instance. Quote, it's just untenable for most Africans at the moment, Akinbo said, arguing that only wealthy Bitcoin, only wealthy Bitcoins in Africa could afford a node. Pretty sure they meant to spell that Bitcoiners in Africa could afford a node. But in Chuta's vision, not everyone will necessarily run a node themselves. Perhaps there will be a specialist that learns to run them, he said, who then pass the benefits on to their local community. Quote, the main point of this project is to educate and train capable node operators across Africa, who then can help their small communities maintain friends and family nodes in order to secure a healthy financial future for them, Chuta said. He hopes... Orders will snowball after the coronavirus fades since the pandemic has hurt Blockspace's hardware suppliers. As soon as COVID-19 issues settle, we will launch a full campaign that will make a significant impact based on our vision, Chuta said. All right, so that's the end of the article. I, I like this guy. I like what he's doing. Um, the solar aspect, a couple of things about that. Just having a solar panel by itself uh, and clearly what would be called an inverter, which takes the DC generated from the solar panel and converts it to AC. It's not that big of a deal. Those, those are actually cheap. However, if you do it that way, then the only, and you have no other electricity to switch over to, then your node dies when the sun goes down. So the only option to keep that thing running 24 seven is you need a battery backup. And what happens here is now you have to get a charge controller before you have, okay, here's, you take the solar power coming out of the, out of the solar panel and you put it into a charge controller and then that charge controller charges up a battery and then to that battery, you hook up the inverter. Okay. And then it takes the DC out of the battery and plugs it in or, or, or converts it into AC and then you can run AC stuff off of it. So the issue becomes having enough battery backup to have enough electricity left over for the, for the 12 hours, anywhere between eight to 14 hours of night, depending on the season to be able to run that son of a bitch during the night. Otherwise all, well, not all bets are off because honestly, let's say that you could not do that. You you had no electricity. You only have a solar solar panel, and you only have the char or the uh, inverter and the the node and the ability to get to you know hit the internet, which brings up other issues about not having electricity. But be that as it may, okay, your node goes your your node kind of dies, which means and you don't want that. You you really want to turn it off. 
because you don't want the, the voltage to just kind of sink. You could really fry some electronics that way. But let's say you just turn it off at night. What has to happen? In the morning, you're going to spend time syncing back up to the uh, blockchain. It's And that, how long that takes, depends on your uh, access to internet. And I mean, with like what we're used to in the United States, it would probably take me, I don't know, 15 minutes maybe to get all the data that occurred over the night. And then my lightning node would, would be able to be functional again. Uh, but that's not, that ain't optimal. Okay. So from the solar aspect of this, that whole kit would probably end up to be able to do it right, would probably end up being minimum of $800. I'm just saying, and I'm not even, I'm not, I'm not even looking at like how much a charge, you know, charge controller costs for this kind of thing, or the deep cycle marine battery that you would really want to use. All right. So still though, I like what he's doing. <clears throat> um, if for whatever reason you want to participate and help this guy along, honestly, I think the best thing to do is, um, is to keep this story in mind. Again, this is a coin desk story. Uh, it was released. When was it? Yesterday, June the 16th by Alyssa Hertig. Um, keep an eye on it and see if, um, you know, these nodes start popping up and if they do offer a channel to them, that's the only, I mean, we could help, we can help this guy do what he's wanting to do. If we can at least say we're willing to put up some channels. And I think that would be, I think that would be a great, uh, olive branch. All right. That's going to do it for the uh, first part of the morning roundup. Let's do some vitals. Markets are not only mixed, but it's just S&P 500 down two tenths of a percent. Uh, NASDAQ is up three tenths of a percent. Dow Jones is down half a percent. The FTSE is up three tenths of a percent. The Nikkei is down half a percent. See what I'm saying? It's like meh. It's just meh out there. Bonds are in the same position. It's just mixed and meh. I mean, some of these don't even look like they may be over the the uh, error correction curve. Uh, commodities, let's, maybe maybe there's something there. No, meh. <laughs> Gold or uh, oil's la- oil's last was thirty eight bucks. Nat gas is one dollar and sixty cents per thousand cubic feet. Gold is seventeen hundred and thirty one dollars. Again, dude, meh. Honestly, I I don't think that really bodes well because we had these two terrific days of these, you know, my my gains, bro, on on the traditional markets. And then today is just because honestly, that news about them pumping yet even preparing to pump even more money, I think, you know, into the into the economy, I think that news is just starting to get old on investors, honestly. So let's talk about real money. Bitcoin, 9,430 bucks. I got a high over at BitAsset, 9,509. I've got a low, looks like it's going to be at Simex, 9,416. 330,000 transactions have occurred in the last 24 hours, representing about 14,000 transactions per hour, with 1 million BTC being sent in that last 24 hours, with the average being sent of 
44,000 BTC and the average transaction value is 3.21 BTC and the median transaction value is still relatively high for me, 0.049 BTC, $463. Block times are now high. Guess what? We had a difficulty adjustment yesterday. Yay! 10 minutes and 45 seconds per block. The, we've had 0.37 BTC being taken in fees on average and 50 BTC have been taken overall in the last 24 hours as fees. And we had a 13 point, we had about a 14.9% difficulty increase. So the hash rate has risen by 7.32%, bringing us up to 108 exahashes per second. And the last time somebody did a commit on the Bitcoin Core repository was sometime yesterday. Ethereum 233, Bcash 240. BSV 175, Litecoin 44 and a quarter, Ethereum Classic is at six and a quarter, Dogecoin coming back up to its normal level, 0 0.0025, 49,000 transactions for Doge in the last 24 hours makes it walking all up and down Ethereum Classic, Litecoin, and Bcash. Bcash is falling off of the network, dude. They have only had 14,000 transactions in the last 24 hours, and I pretty much guarantee you that they probably aren't even real transactions. My node, my node kind of corroborates what uh, BitInfo charts was saying. 107.1 exahashes per second for the daily average rate of the hash rate and 109.6 exahashes per second for the weekly. I'm looking at 1,600 transactions pending in my mempool. And this time today, the last 10 blocks are all full. Nice. Let's see what Clark Moody has to say about this. Now, Clark Moody's mempool reflects something different. 2,800 transactions are in his mempool. Uh, with That represents about two megabytes. So about two blocks is going to be needed to clear those transactions. Lightning Network total capacity is 939 BTC, giving us about $8.8 .8 million in liquidity over 7,223 nodes, representing 36,339 channels. Ooh, that's a mouthful. 426 BTC are in the Tor capacity side of the Lightning Network, and that brings the percentage of Tor capacity down one point from yesterday to 45.4%. Number of Tor nodes is $2,101. That's gonna do it for vital. Wait a minute, did I say dollars? No, Tor nodes is 2,101 nodes. That's gonna do it for vitals. $25 million ICO backed by Floyd Mayweather was a fraud, founder admits. Man, I can't believe he admitted it. That is such a special talent in this space. This is Decrypt.co's Andrew Hayward writing this one sometime yesterday. The Centratech ICO debacle finally results in a verdict for one co-founder with the others still set to go on trial. <laughs> Good Lord, man. Robert Joseph Farkas. The co-founder of crypto startup Centratech, which raised more than $25 million in, in an ICO in 2017, pled guilty today to conspiring to commit securities and wire fraud. The Miami-based Centratech employed celebrities such as boxer Floyd Mayweather and DJ Khalid to hawk its ICO, which promised development of a Centra card that could be used at Visa and MasterCard terminals to make payments via cryptocurrency holdings. 
However, it was all a massive fraudulent scheme. No, who would have guessed? According to the U.S. Federal Bureau of Investigation, the agency determined that Centratech created non-existent individuals for its purported executive team, including CEO, quote, Michael Edwards, and that the company never had relationships with Bancor, Visa, or MasterCard, nor licenses in many of the states to which it claimed, quote, Farkas and his co-conspirators duped ICO investors into investing digital currency worth millions of dollars based on fictitious claims about the company, including misrepresentations related to its purported digital technologies and its relationships with legitimate businesses in the financial services sector, said United States Attorney Craig Stewart in a statement. Whether in the context of traditional equity IPOs or newer cryptocurrency-related ICOs, raising capital through lies and deceit is a crime. According to the Department of Justice, the FBI seized 100,000 Ethereum between May and October of 2018, including funds that were fraudulently raised from investors. The 33-year-old Farkas pled guilty to two charges, each of which carries a maximum sentence of five years in prison. His sentencing date has not yet been announced. According to Bloomberg, Farkas agreed to a plea agreement that calls for a sentence between 70 and 87 months and a fine of up to $250,000. In May of 2019, Centratech's co-founders hoped to halt the government's case by claiming that it illegally seized privileged Slack conversations with their lawyers. However, as today's plea suggests, it must not have been the hopeful lifeline that they had hoped for, at least for Farkas. His co-defendants, Sohrab Sharma and Raymond Trapani, are slated to go on trial in November, and I'm pretty sure that they're going to get screwed. Well, who cares? They're ICO shillers, man. And those people, I mean, thank God the courts got to them. Cause in my, in my world, I just throw them out into a pit with their investors and let them fight. I think that would be much more enjoyable than watching this slow moving train wreck. Good God. X Bitcoin dev settles defamation suit over sex assault claims. Okay. If you guys have been watching this entire thing between Isis Lovecraft, is it Isis Agora Lovecraft and Peter Todd, then maybe this will put all this shit to bed, but maybe not. Let's let's see what, oh God, Lee Kuhn has to say about this in this CoinDesk article that she wrote yesterday. And why am I aghast? Lee Kuhn was... One of the people, actually, I think she was the main person that when she first started uh, reporting on this story, uh, basically painted Peter Todd as a complete asshole, rapist, totally wouldn't, I don't know, man. It was just, it was a hit piece, essentially. And I don't know Peter Todd. I've never met him. I've talked to him on Twitter like three times or something like that. I know he enjoys spelunking. He doesn't seem like a rapist to me. At that, which doesn't make any difference, but the court seems to have found him uh, completely, you know, absolved of this kind of crap. And ISIS Lovecraft apparently last night uh, tweeted out uh, a statement saying that Peter Todd never raped her. So yes, this is a circus with its own little clown car. Um, thank God it doesn't involve a token. Former Bitcoin Core developer Peter Todd has settled his defamation lawsuit against fellow privacy tech expert Isis Lovecraft, who tweeted in February 2019 that Todd was a rapist. Lovecraft, who uses non-binary pronouns, what, what, 
Jeez, Lee, why the hell would you lead that? Who cares? Let's try this again. Lovecraft, who uses non-binary pronouns as if that's even anywhere close to important, claimed in 2019 that Todd sexually harassed them and grabbed their arm, which he denied. After he sued Lovecraft for defamation, two anonymous women detailed accounts of sexual assault by Todd in court filings on July the 15th, uh, 2019, Lovecraft filed an anti-slap motion asking the court to dismiss Todd's lawsuit as an attempt to curtail free speech on Tuesday. Without deleting the original tweet, Lovecraft also tweeted, Peter Todd never raped or sexually assaulted me. Lovecraft's GoFundMe page says this tweet was required as part of the settlement. Todd cited hefty legal fees as his primary reason for settling the case, which he initially filed in the United States District Court for the Northern District of California in Oakland in April of 2019. Quote, I settled because I ran out of money. I'd rather have kept the case, but the really important thing was to turn vague allegations, which were surprisingly harmful, into something I could actually respond to, Todd told Coindesk. ISIS has been making vague claims. Lovecraft used GoFundMe to crowdsource roughly $35,800 for legal fees. They also accepted cryptocurrency donations, including Bitcoin, Monero, and several other shitcoins. Lovecraft's crowdfunding page offers an ambiguous statement. Oh, gee, Lee, now you're starting to report. Quote, the basic terms of the settlement are Todd agreed to dismiss his lawsuit against Lovecraft and Lovecraft and walk away without any financial recovery in exchange for a statement by Lovecraft clarifying that they do not assert as they have never asserted that Todd raped or sexually assaulted them personally. End quote. This would relate to the claim of arm grabbing and not the sexual assault allegations by the two anonymous accusers, both identified in court papers as Jane Doe. In a statement to Coindesk, Todd said Lovecraft and one male witness had a conflict of interest because both were involved in the Zcash project, which Todd often criticizes. The two Jane Doe's made filings in the case in support of Lovecraft. One claimed she was assaulted by Todd. The other alleged he raped her. Todd denied both charges and contended that neither woman was involved in any Bitcoin projects, which he argued undermined the credibility of their accounts. Odd. Whatever. Both Jane Doe's in interviews with Coindesk said that they used to participate in the broader Bitcoin community, but stopped after the alleged incidents. In previous communications with Coindesk, both alleged victims <clears throat> indicated they wanted to move on with their lives and did not seek to press charges or otherwise publicly discuss the accusations. This legal conflict was entirely between Lovecraft and Todd the latter of whom claimed the settlement represents a victory, yet Lovecraft hasn't deleted the original tweet, which sparked the lawsuit and did not respond to requests for comment by press time. Well, that may have been part of the uh, uh, the settlement, is that Todd basically got her to flip-flop publicly by saying, you don't have to delete the original tweet, but you do have to tweet this one out, and that's just going to make you look fucking stupid, isn't it? So. That's that's what I would have done. I would have said, oh, hell no, you keep that tweet. Oh, oh dear, please make sure you keep that tweet up there so that, so that it looks really bad. So, yeah, this is, I mean, this is bad because of the, the content involved, you know, rape and, and, and assault. These things are not to be taken lightly at all. They're not to be taken lightly on the side of both parties, the accuser and the accused. I hate to see that this entire thing happened. I, I really do. I, it just seems, it seems 
at this point, it kind of seems petty because she said that it never happened. And yet she says it did. And the only people that made any money on their time were the lawyers. Stay away from them. Layer two will make Bitcoin as easy to use as the dollar, says Kraken CEO Jesse Powell, as he told Bloomberg in a recent interview that Bitcoin would surpass gold as a store of value in the long term. Jack Martin penned this one for Cointelegraph sometime early this morning in a June 16th interview with Bloomberg. Kraken CEO Jess Powell, uh, sorry, Jesse Powell claimed that layer two solutions will in time make Bitcoin as easy to use as the United States dollar. In addition to improvements in Bitcoin's utilitarian nature, Powell suggested that the eventual timing of institutional investors getting on board would rely on herd mentality and recommended Bitcoin as a hedge against the United States Federal Reserve's current manipulation of the dollar. Well, of course, Powell trumpeted Bitcoin's success as a store of value. The predictable nature of the issuance has seen many flock to BTC as a hedge against traditional asset classes, and Powell suggested that long-term, he believed it would surpass gold. However, just like gold and even cash, he said that people will not need to transfer physical Bitcoin on the blockchain. Cash apps such as PayPal and Venmo allow movement of fiat currencies in non-physical form, and Layer 2 solutions will, in time, provide easy-to-use tools to similarly interact with Bitcoin. Quote, pretty soon all of the technology behind Bitcoin will just disappear, and it'll be just like the U.S. dollar where no one really understands how it works, but everyone uses it, end quote. I find that rather dangerous, but I'm going to go with it. Powell continued that the past three months <clears throat> has seen a massive influx of new accounts from all investor types hedge funds, wealth managers, retail investors, and day traders. However, the long-promised flood of, you guessed it, institutional investment will rely on herd mentality, he said. The revelations of respected fund managers like Paul Tudor Jones that up to 2% of his portfolio was in Bitcoin will encourage others to come on board, eventually building to a critical mass of institutional players. Regarding the potential manipulation of cryptocurrency markets by whales, Powell pointed out that the traditional markets are also being manipulated. Quote, look at the Fed buying junk bonds from the failed United States corporations. It's a joke. The market is manipulated. They're printing trillions of dollars to pump up the value, value of publicly traded stocks. You can't price anything in dollars anymore. Inflation is going to be out of control very soon here. Personally, I would be buying Bitcoin as a hedge against inflation. Yeah, that's what I do. GitHub drops master and slave terms amid BLM backlash. Yeah, I can hear the groans out there. I know, but this is a thing, okay? And masters, I have a master's degree. Am I a slaver? I, I know it's it's not funny. I shouldn't be laughing, but at this point, man, I literally want to go live in a cave somewhere deep, deep, deep in the mountains and get away from all this bullshit because that's all this is. This is all bullshit, but it's going to be part of our lives basically from, from now on. So buckle up, buttercup. Adriana Hamaker writing this one for Decrypt.co sometime this morning. Microsoft's GitHub is abandoning the long-established coding terminology in support of BLM. Mm. The world or GitHub, the world's biggest site for software developers, is to drop the coding term master and slave, according to a tweet by Nat Friedman, CEO of the Microsoft owned company. It comes as companies are subject to increasing scrutiny over the response to BLM protest. On Monday, banking behemoth Citigroup came under fire for not making Juneteenth, which commemorates the day U.S. slaves discovered they were free, 
a holiday for employees as Nike and other major firms have done. Friedman tweeted that GitHub was working on a change to the long-established master and slave terms in response to an entreaty from Google Chrome developer Una Kravitz. Quote, if it prevents even a single black person from feeling more isolated in the tech community, feels like a no-brainer to me, she tweeted. She suggested changing the coding term master, which refers to the main version of code, to a more neutral term such as main. But developers using GitHub have been invited to nominate alternatives. The GitHub platform is used by some 50 million developers to store and update coding projects. Some voiced fears that changing to the default terms, or yeah, change to the default terms, could have a negative and widespread impact on work hosted on the platform. Issues of compatibility and confusion, if a variety of terms are used, were some of the objections voiced by developers. However, it's not the first time the controversial terminology has come up for scrutiny. Linux developer Peter Baudis said that after he picked the terms master and origin for GitHub tooling in 2005, he regretted that he had not chosen more neutral terms. GitHub is not the only software repository revamping its language in response to increased scrutiny. Google's Chromium is encouraging developers to opt for more neutral language instead of terms like blacklist and whitelist, which refer to directories that are either banned or allowed. Apple engineer John Willander suggested swapping to block list and allow list. And Gabriel Saspo, a LinkedIn engineer, has promised to open up code libraries using these terms for revision. But some, such as engineer David Daniel, have challenged the drive to eliminate terms such as master, arguing that the word has meaning beyond slave master and that its use is simply too widespread. Microsoft, it seems, is choosing to stay one step ahead of language's slow march to modernity. Newspeak. That's all I really need to say about that one. World Economic Forum hopes to stamp out corruption with Colombian blockchain trial. Oh, Banana Republic's now on the blockchain. I get it. Benjamin Priya or Pyrus is writing this one for Cointelegraph sometime this morning. The WEF hopes to make corrupt activity in the public sector more difficult using blockchain technology. Quote, corruption is a high potential space for blockchain because you really benefit from decentralization. Records are very difficult to remove or censor, for instance. WEF blockchain project lead Ashley Landquist told Cointelegraph. Landquist is one of the authors behind a June report detailing how the WEF, the Office of the Inspector General of Columbia, and the Inter-American Development Bank have formed a multi-stakeholder team to investigate, design, and trial the use of blockchain technology for corruption-prone government processes, end quote. Or what a mouthful. The report states that shady dealings plague the public sectors of many countries. You spelt all countries wrong. Sorry. But increased transparency, public accountability, and proper documentation or solutions. Blockchain is one way to do so. Known as the Transparency Project, <laughs> the WEF's multi-entity endeavor looks for specific applications in public procurement. The group will harness a permissionless version of the Ethereum blockchain for the job. The WEF's blockchain project has selected Columbia as a test site for its blockchain-based framework, the report said, adding, quote, The project developed a blockchain-based software proof of concept for public procurement that intends to be tested in a live procurement auction in Colombia in 2020. It will be tested on a public education food program in Colombia that has previously hosted foul play 
The write-up cites blockchain's benefits in terms of auditing, decentralization, smart contracts, transparency, immutability, and filing capabilities. These properties make blockchain a high-potential emerging technology to address corruption, the report said, adding, quote, The project chose to focus on the public procurement process because it constitutes one of the largest sites of corruption globally, stands to benefit from these technology properties, and plays a significant role in serving public interest. Blockchain has also seen a number of other real-world applications in recent years, with companies such as Amazon, Microsoft, and Intel leading the charge. Okay, so there you go. There's your absolute freaking stupidity. Um, Without a token of value that actually has value, true decentralization, which means that nobody's going to run your shit unless there's a token of value that's worth a shit, then all of this is not worth a shit. This is nothing. Unless, like, let's, let's say it was this way. We're going to use Bitcoin to do this. How would that work? Okay, I'm positing, and I'm just thinking off the top of my head here, that those people that actually want to do, like, like I'm a vendor, and I, I want to provide food. I, I, I have a, a food packaging company, and I sell packaged food to places like cafeterias. I want to I want to be the sole vendor for an entire uh, either nations or at least a, a state of that nation or even a county for their all their schools. I'd make good money. I'd move product. I would be employing people. So I'm gonna say this is how much I'm gonna charge. And because I'm serious about this, I gotta pay eight dollars to put it on the blockchain for Bitcoin. Okay, not some idiots like brand new out of the box blockchain bullshit because it has no value whatsoever, which means nothing. And if fees get really high on on the Bitcoin network, then to put in your bid would cost you a hundred bucks for the transaction. At this point, you better you you kind of would want to be serious about actually winning the bid. And then, we like let's say you get the bid then every single bill that you send, you've got to pay to have in some way, shape, form, or fashion to have that bill in a form that is, has the most information available without any other fluff so that you can say, this is how much I charged you this month and this is what you got and put it in, put it in Bitcoin, which means you got to pay another 10 bucks. Chances are real good when you're when you've got skin in the game like that, that you're not really going to be, you're, you're really going to be weeding out the people that are interested in being corrupt because they're just going to, they're just going to go somewhere else. It's like thieves that are walking down an alley looking for a house to break into at night. They're not going to select the house with the dogs barking. It doesn't work that way. You get what I'm saying? Now, since all that shit was off the top of my head, I'm certain that I've made serious blunders. But again, dude, I'm on my second cup of coffee. This is all I've had. Give me a break. <laughs> I got a daily train wreck for you. Daily Train Wrecked is brought to you by Old Crypto Dad, otherwise known as Chris Giancarlo, who used to be the former CFTC chairman. And up until right now, I had a great deal of respect for him. 
not anymore because Chris says XRP isn't a security. fuck's sake. The revolving door of Washington, D.C. never ceases to amaze me. That thing is the shiniest, most well-balanced, well-oiled piece of machinery on the face of the planet, and it's been working smooth-ass silk for over a hundred years. Here we have Chris Giancarlo, uh, you know what? Let's just get into this Forbes article. This is written by Michael D. Castillo of Forbes staff, and he's writing this one sometime early this morning. I'm not going to read you the whole thing. By the time I get to the paragraph I'm going to end on, you'll know what you need to know. When Christian Carlo was the chairman of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, he became a rock star of sorts in certain corners of the cryptocurrency community, helping establish criteria that eventually led to Bitcoin and Ethereum being declared commodities, more like coffee or sugar than stock in a company. The United States Securities and Exchange Commission largely followed suit, excuse me, eventually also declaring that Bitcoin and Ether, the cryptocurrency powering the Ethereum blockchain, were not securities. Now, Chairman Emeritus Giancarlo, who was deemed crypto dad following an impassioned speech he gave to Congress, where he credited Bitcoin for finally getting his kids interested in finance is added again, having co-written a detailed argument published this morning in the International Financial Law Review for why XRP, the cryptocurrency formerly known as Ripples, and it's actually spelled Ripples with an S, was also not a security. The only problem is he's no longer a regulator. In fact, his employer is on the payroll of Ripple the largest single owner of XRP, whose co-founders actually created the cryptocurrency. That's all you need to know. That's it. I, I mean, there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. There's like another 25 paragraphs, and I'm not going to read a single one of them. Why? This is all you need to know. We, here we have yet another person who gained trust by saying the right things, got enough of it to become installed into um, into the world of cryptocurrency, and then goes to Ripple and says shit like this. Now, what's sad is that the headline, this is, now remember, this is Forbes, okay? This isn't like crypto slate or something that that is not mainstream, except for, you know, people in, in cryptocurrency and, and Bitcoin. Like my favorite, you know, is Decrypt. I love that publication. I love Bitcoin Magazine, but it's not mainstream. If I were to go to a buddy of mine and say, "Did you have you read Decrypt today?" He's gonna go, "What?" I'm like, if I say, "Have you read Forbes today?" He'll probably say no, but he'll know what I'm talking about. So in Forbes, XRP isn't a security. Declares former CFTC chairman. How is that a he- who gives a shit? What, I mean, would he still, like, what if he was homeless? I mean, he's like, homeless man, former CFTC chairman, declares Ripple's cool as shit. No, we don't care. He's not a regulator. He has nothing to offer us except his obvious turncoat bullshit Washington, D.C. jive. I'm sick of it, man. 
I've been sick of it and I'm going to remain sick of it because this is not ending with him. So all these people that, that, you know, if we ever thought of them as our heroes, this is why you kill your heroes. It is. This is why you kill your heroes. But again, just to reiterate, former regulator who works for Ripple says Ripple isn't a security. Yeah. <laughs> There's your smoldering pot. From sick joke to bad joke, we have Dad Says Jokes, and this one is specifically for Craig Stewart Wright. What do lawyers wear to work? A lawsuit. Yes, yes. Okay, here it is, guys. Um, <clears throat> I have received my ref link to uh, bit block boom gary just uh dm'd me just now actually not just now i just saw it just now as i was going through that break um i have been given by gary leland a ref link to shill to you Dieter bob i'm shilling it right to you first buddy um he probably doesn't listen to the show but i i like the little dog anyway and he gets really snarly when people start shilling ref links but I like BitBlockBoom. It's a conference in Dallas. It's going to be in like late August. Go to bitblockboom.com and buy your ticket. When you're checking out, there's going to be a place to enter a code. And if you put Bitcoin and all one word into that box, you will get a 30% discount. I can't believe it. I finally arrived. I have my, my own my own thing to shill to you as a ref link that will give you a 30% discount. I'm actually kind of proud of this, by the way. And I have to say thank you. I'm not going to say the name of the person, but a person on my behalf took the time out of their day, time that they will never get back, even if it was only 15 seconds, okay, to shill me to Gary, even though I've already known Gary, suggesting that maybe he give me contact me and ask me if I would like to do discount code ref links. I know it's not all that hard. I get it because I'm being used to, to shill BitBlock boom and make Gary some money, but guys, we're all in this shit together. We are the only marketing team that Bitcoin has, but when you think about it, we put our heads together and I'm not talking about, we need to coordinate. That's bullshit. Now, man, we need to stay loose and, and maneuverable as far as marketers are concerned. And I'm, I'm a shitty marketer and some are way better than me. But still, when you actually look at the makeup of the potential quote unquote marketing department of Bitcoin, it's actually pretty big. It's really big. In fact, I'll bet you'll find that it's bigger than any marketing department for any corporation, no matter how big or small, anywhere in the world. When I mean that we're all in this shit together, I mean we are all in this shit together. And for the particular person involved who wishes to remain anonymous, I do believe. Um, thank you. I appreciate the fact that you spent seconds of your life that you will never get back to shill my ass to Gary Leland, who has in turn given me the ref code Bitcoin and, and that's all one word, Bitcoin and no dots, no spaces, no underspaces, no overspaces, no slashes, hashes, whatevers. It's just Bitcoin. And you pop that little son of a bitch into the, uh, your discount code thing. When you're buying your BitBlockBoom tickets for this August, 
you'll get 30% off. Again, that's Bitcoin and type it in the discount code box. You'll get 30% off. And then I will see you there because I am going there come hell or high water. I have my tickets. I've already, I've had, or tickets. I've had my ticket since I believe December, maybe February, but I'm pretty sure I bought them in December before Christmas sometime. I've been waiting on this one because it is a Bitcoin maximalist haven. And if you don't want to go to a conference and be shill the latest shitcoin cryptocurrency ICO or whatever the hell they got on their lips these days, then go to BitBlockBoom. It's fairly centrally located when you think about it. I mean, Dallas is kind of smack dab in the middle of the country. And as far as flights are concerned, everything goes through Dallas. If, it, if you're flying from the East Coast to the West Coast, unless you take a nonstop or express or something like that, you're going to end up in Dallas, probably. It's really easy to get there. So again, go to bitblockboom.com. That's all one word. And in the discount code box, type in Bitcoin and, and you will get a 30% discount on your tickets. Tickets are going. They're not like, it's not like fiat. He's not just printing a whole shit ton of them because this is for Bitcoin maximalists, right? Okay. So, and there's like, just go to BitBlockBoom and you'll see what Gary Leland has in store for us. Um, I'm, I'm terribly excited about that. Okay. So there we go. Uh, we have completed episode number 253 of Bitcoin and I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.